I mean, one, one of my basic premises about the industry is not that we don't know what to do. It's we don't usually know what questions to ask. Hey, guys, it's Mike Kenoki from the Contracting Handbook. I'm back. And this week, it's with architect Steve Basic. We're going to talk a lot about clients today, working with them, what they're like, how we interact, and what our processes are, mostly Steve's processes. And it's really cool. And if you're joining us for the first time, my name is Mike Kenoki, and I'm a general contractor in the oddly wonderful Fairbanks, Alaska. And I'm a firm believer in creating a legacy that's meaningful and good. And in the second season of the Contracting Handbook podcast, I've invited a bunch of like-minded people to join me and talk about that. And now let's continue on here with Steve Basic. Before you start drawing something for them. I have them write a narrative and it's interesting because I don't put limits on it. Um, I just say a narrative. It can be anything. And, you know, from a couple pages to multiple pages, whatever you want. But if, if you asked me in my 30 years to list the top three projects or top five projects, I would list them. And then if your second question was, you know, how, how did they pay? And I say they paid full price, right? Those were the best clients because they understood value. They knew what they wanted. They were willing to pay for it. The, the challenging clients are the ones that really don't even know what they want. They want something maybe because other people have it and it's not even something they desire. They bitch about how much it costs and they try and find, is there a, a cheaper way to do this? It's like, you know, there's a few clients in my time that I wish I had paid $500 to go away. I would have made more money. <laughs> I love it. I, I tell people, if you come into my house and you put your feet up on the coffee table and get comfortable, then I consider that a compliment. And so when they come at me with like a floor plan and say, oh, this is exactly what we want. I'm like, then why are you building a custom home? Just get that plan set out of the magazine and go give it to a builder and build it. That, that's not a custom home. A custom home is something made for you. Because they, they, get they these, need help. They need they coaching do. is what Absolutely. they need. They need and a it's, guide. It, they don't need to be told. They need to understand what they don't know is, I, I guess, is my point. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a leadership role, really. Yeah, exactly. No, you know exactly what you know. You have no idea what the possibilities are. You know, someone's either a close enough friend to do it for free or they're not and you charge them full price. There's nothing in between. I use the 90% rule. If it's something I'm going to do 90% of the time, then it's worth buying. If I'm not Mm. going to, then it's probably not worth buying because that money can be valued somewhere else. So now I ask them, do you have a number that scares you? I want to know, like, what's the number that this isn't a project? Okay, everybody, welcome back. Today, I'm here with Steve Basic. He's an architect based in the Boston area, but works in many locations around the U.S., and he is also a co-host on the Unbuild It podcast. And if you haven't heard that, you should check it out. How's it going today, Steve? Doing awesome, man. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Um, how's, the, how's the weather down there? 
Uh, it's uh, overcast day today. Pretty much. I mean, it's a beautiful time of the year for us, though, in New England. Pretty much all of September, first week or two of October. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I grew up on the East Coast. I miss that. Those autumn leaves. There you go. Oh, we had well, I'm a, jealous. We had... You're in Alaska, right? Yeah. We had, a, oh, we had a beautiful autumn here, but it's over. <laughs> it, it, it's it snowed last week and it is seasonably a little chillier than it normally is this time of year but uh but that's the way it is in alaska i'm gonna have to come up there and check it out one of these days it's you, one of my dreams to go to alaska one of the few places i haven't been now you have a friend there so there you go come, come on up yeah i came across you on social media and uh one of the things i notice as an architect is that you are super hands-on uh, I see you on job sites on social media and you're, you're explaining what's going on with a lot of these houses. You're really working with your contractors a lot and, and working through new building science stuff. So I feel like that's kind of unusual for an architect to be that hands-on. It, it is, but I, you know, I, I didn't come up through the architecture ranks as a traditional architect. I came up through the building science ranks and, and I think with that, we were always questioning everything. And when you question everything, you really want to have your eyes and, and hands in everything. And you want to learn. And so I'm a kind of a glutton for education, too. So when it comes time to put windows in, I usually go out and install the first window or two with the guys. And because sometimes we end up changing the way we do things. Sometimes we just verify that the way we're doing it is the right way and the best way. So it keeps my information up to date. Yeah, I see that you you started in the trades as an electrician and carpenter. I worked as uh, a carpenter for a while, electrician, truck driver. Yeah. And a bunch so, of so, is, so that's great because you learned where not to block out the electricians right away from a young age. Well, I think you gain a little bit of respect. I mean, all those jobs are hard jobs, right? And, and the other thing is, is by getting out there and seeing this stuff, I mean, it's, it's one thing to say, go and install a window on July, you know, 1st in New England, but going out to a job site on February 10th really lets you know what kind of hardship that these guys deal with every day that, you know, we're, so we, we have to work as a team, try and figure out what's the best possible way What's the best possible scheduling process, you know, all of that stuff. I like it. And I, I see that you just attended the Midwest Building Sciences Symposium. Yeah, uh, we were down in Kansas bit. City, my daughter and I. My daughter, um, Alexandra, who's also on Instagram, she she works with me. And uh, we were out there. I was actually gave a lecture on uh, Tuesday. And what did you talk about? I talked about um, basically strategy to process and, and it was interesting because rather than have, you know, 80 slides of solutions, I pretty much had 80 slides of questions that we should be asking. I mean, one, one of my basic premises about the industry is not that we don't know what to do. It's we don't usually know what questions to ask and because we don't set up any goals or expectations or a path to success, we have a hard time finding it sometimes because we don't really know where we want to go. Right. I mean, I'm always amazed that I, I get projects that have gone through other architects hands, 
And when I asked the homeowner, you know, do you have a budget? And they say, no. And I said, well, how are you working with the other architect? Well, he never, he never asked or she never asked. So how, how can I design a house or an addition for somebody if I don't know what their target is, right? Because I can design a million dollar house. If they come back and say my budget, I only have 600K, then we both wasted our time for three months. Yes. I had experience like that recently where I kept asking about the budget. And then when I told them a rough budget, they said, what? Yeah. And I said, I'm not well, going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to line item this until you tell me what you've got, you know, because it's, yeah. you gotta, you gotta set an expectation there. And, and what I, what I, what I've grown into asking them, Mike is because if you ask them for a budget, most of the time they're going to lie to me. Right. Cause they're going to say, well, I, I have 600, but let me tell them 550 and I'll keep that 50 just in case. So now I ask them, do you have a number that scares you? I want to know, like, what's the number that this isn't a project? Is it 500K, 600K, 700K, a million and a half? Well, what is that number? Right? Because some people say, oh, I want to spend 600. Well, that might mean they have 800 and they're going to go to that if I show them something good. Or, you know, if they just realize that things cost a little bit more than they anticipated and they're fine with that. But I can't do my job effectively if you're not honest with me, right? Because I need to tune it to what you have. Yeah. And that's where, where having a, when being established and having an excellent reputation really matters because people have, they have to come in trusting you and not trying to think that you're trying to take the most off the top of what they have for yourself because yeah. everything has a price tag and, and, and good know. things cost money. Exactly. Um, you know, you, you can't see this. Oh, look at that beautiful wood ceiling. Oh, we want one just like that. Okay. Well, be prepared. That's a $20,000 ceiling. Right. That adds a lot to the square footage of the house. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you, one of the, one of my uh, guests in the last season does a, he, a Brian Kaplan and he, he's someone I follow online too. And he recently made a post about you know, when a client calls and says, how much is a square foot to build a house right now? I get those calls all the time right now. Just, oh, yeah. they're like, I don't, I, I don't, I don't have land. I don't have anything, but I want to know how much it costs. And I'm like, well, what, what's the house look like? And what kind of land is it on? And that, but, but Brian says, well, ask them how much a bag of groceries costs. Yeah. And that's, that's a beautiful analogy to me. Like what's it's I, I'll say, how much does a car cost? right? What kind of car do you want? How big, how strong, what kind of motor, what kind of amenities? Bells and whistles. Exactly. It's all, all relative. It sure is. What do you say to people who say, I've got a good builder. Why do I need an architect? Um, well, I, I tell them, first of all, I tell them somebody's got to figure it out. And the it is everything right? Somebody has to figure it all out. And I'm not saying framers can't figure out the frame or electrician can't figure out the wiring or the mechanical guy can't figure out how to put the mechanical system in. But the question is, will all of those decisions meet your expectations as the homeowner, right? Are you okay with them laying it all out? Because if you are, then yeah, go hire them. If you want a house that the framer designed and it's one of the things that he liked, then go ahead. That's, that's fine. I mean, if you, if you want to hire me, it's, I tell people, you know, they, they come to me and I, and I get this a lot, you know, 
hey, Steve, you know, we, we want to work with you. And, uh, you know, we, we know exactly what we want. And I tell them, you know, no, you know exactly what you know. You have no idea what the possibilities are. Right. So yeah. you, you, you only know what you have seen. You know, I venture into the areas of the unseen. And, you know, we go on a journey to maybe find something that hasn't been there yet. Yeah, it's t- it's that it, it can be challenging to talk to people like that because they people think they know a lot. And you're like, you think, no, you don't. You actually don't know anything about this. You know what a house is, but you don't know what's behind the walls. You don't know. Yeah. You don't really well, know. Well, it's behind the walls, but it's even space planning. Exactly. And, you know, the relationships of rooms. And not only that, but most people, when they say we know what we want, they found a floor plan online and then they conform their lifestyle to that floor plan. Yep. And they get themselves to believe, okay, that's a floor plan I really like. Instead of, you know, when, when I start a project, I have my clients write a narrative, a couple pages. What, what does, what does it take for a house to be successful for you? And I don't want to know the size of rooms for that. What I want to know is how do you live and what, what would be successful for you? Because the house that I designed for you say, Mike, and the house I designed for myself, they're not the same house. They shouldn't be the same house, your lifestyle, your desires, your ways of doing things are different than my way of doing things. You might like animals. I might not, right? You might have four dogs. I mean, it could be tables turned. We have four dogs in my house. So dogs play a major role in how we operate and what we do, where they stay, all of that stuff. So if I was designing a new house, that would certainly be a major consideration of where are they? Where do they eat? And that's, that's only one aspect of it. I'm not saying I've designed the house around them, but I'm just saying, you know, some people that don't have pets, then we don't have to worry about that stuff or don't have kids or their kids are older, right? If, if you're a young couple starting out planning on having kids, you're going to go through the whole plastic world for a couple of years, right? You're going to have little kitchens and little houses and stuff in your living room. And you're going to need space for that kind of stuff. So it's, it's all different. And then it's funny because the more I do this, the wider the spectrum goes. Like, you know, because there's, there's kind of the normal stuff, but then there's the not so normal stuff. Like I did a house for a woman. She was a professional archer. So we made sure that the basement, she could have her archery range down there, you know things like that so and that's not in every bag of groceries and that's not in every bag of groceries right one guy we were talking about putting a batting cage in until he saw the price um for his son he wanted to put it in in the basement and the price didn't come back very favorable so we had to nix that but uh but it doesn't mean that you know it's I, i had another client she said what would it take to uh be able to jump rope in my gym in the basement you know, cause we were designing a house for, her. and the builder was there and he said that, you know, that's probably about 20 grand to uh, take that basement and go down another 30 inches. And she says, it's worth it to me. Let's do it. So we took her gym down there. I mean, 
I'm, I'm working on a house right now that the gentleman, the gym is a big part of his life. So in the, in the basement walkout, we have, I don't know, it's probably almost uh, 1600 square feet of gym space, but that's a major portion of his day, right? Yeah. There's some people that don't work out at all. So, you know, you come to me because you have a laundry list of items and you come to me because I'll also make sure it doesn't leak or, and it's comfortable in there. It's healthy environment. We're not growing mold anywhere. And, and hopefully it's energy efficient. And, and that's something you always want to provide for your clients. From my understanding, you, you definitely want to build it, bring in these building science components. And yeah, most, most clients, they, they come at me because they want both worlds, right? They want it performing as good as it looks. And, and so you're, you're getting clients that specifically want to work with you. They're not shopping car. They're not shopping architects. So because you have that going for you in your process, you kind of know your clients a little bit before they come on. They're somewhat pre-qualified. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and your builders that you work with have excellent pre-qualified clients coming from you because they know that you all form a team. Yeah, it's it's like it's like this. I mean, and, and it's hard not to sound like a, a prude, but if, if someone calls me up and says, "Hey, Steve, I saw you online. We're building a house. Um, you know, we, we'd like to talk to you about being our architect. How much do you charge?" Like that—that's a huge turnoff to me because it's it's it. I get it. I price is everything. Like when I go to a store and I see a nice jacket I like, I flip over the tag. I want to know how much it costs. I get it. I do get it. But the first things that go through my mind is, is that a jacket I like? Is it a jacket I'm going to wear all the time? Is this a jacket that's going to be worth whatever price that I flip around, right? Or, or maybe I make some distinction of like, that's a nice jacket, but if it's more than 250 bucks, I can forget about it, you know, and then I flip it around. But if that's your first question out of the gate, chances are we're probably not a good fit. And it's, it's not that maybe you could even afford the right house. It's just, I don't think your priorities are in the same place mine are. And it's, it's hard working with a client that if I question them on day one, what's our relationship like in month six, eight, or 10, right? Because yeah. it's, it, it, it only gets, it, it should, you know, hopefully get better, but, um, it, it, it's just tough. If you start out questioning somebody, it's, it's a, it's, it'll be a challenging project. It's a big red flag for me. It's, it's a, well, it's a great way to frame it. I'm, I'm on, I'm definitely in the same boat with someone calls and asks me an hourly rate or something. And I'm going, what? You can't ask for an hourly rate when I've been doing this for, you know, 20 years, right. you know, I, we, we need to know where you're at in, in your process, in your head. And it's almost equivalent to them calling up and saying that they want it cheap in their first phone call or their first contact with you, you know, because they're definitely not at a place yet with what they want to do, or they're just a bad fit. Yeah. To me, it's kind of one of two things, right? They haven't done their homework and figured out who I am, or they possibly have done it and just are kicking tires and you know, neither one I really have time for. Yeah, no doubt. Cause I have a lot of people that are 
very sincere and want the right product and are willing to pay. And uh, those projects turn out great. What? Well, it'd be interesting to get your take, but I have this conversation with a lot of builders and friends and everybody that's been in business for themselves. But if, if you asked me in my 30 years to list the top three projects or top five projects, I would list them. And then if your second question was, you know, how, how did they pay? And I say, they paid full price, right? Those were the best clients because they understood value. They knew what they wanted. They were willing to pay for it. The, the challenging clients are the ones that really don't even know what they want. They want something maybe because other people have it and it's not even something they desire. They bitch about how much it costs and they try and find, is there a, a cheaper way to do this? It's like all of those things are, are a total negative. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. And, and I echo that sentiment. People that are challenging to work with because because they don't know what they want and then don't understand as it's going along. I can't imagine what it's like for the rest of the people in their life. You know, they take a lot of it out on their people. They're spending a lot of money on. They, they feel like they can take it out on you, but they have, it's bigger than it's bigger than you and your process. And they, they have something else going on a lot of the time that, you know, yeah. Yeah. But that's, I mean, and those, that's fine, but don't make your problems my problems. I, exactly. I, I, I yeah. got enough of my own. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I got a long list of red flags I look for, for sure now. Yeah. Um, you know, but that that's, that's definitely one of them. And, and then they become the most challenging clients too. They're the ones that don't understand. It's like, I know I promised you this on Monday, but you're probably going to get on Wednesday. It took me a little bit more time to figure this out. And the ones that value your time are saying, okay, I understand that. That's cool. Um, and then, the ones that don't, they want the cheaper price are the ones that are bitching. Like I really need this today. And it's like, you know, you're, you're getting a hell of a deal. So it's, I, I had a friend, I don't know, probably maybe 15 years ago or so give, give me a line that I absolutely love. They said, you know, someone's either a close enough friend to do it for free or they're not. And you charge them full price. There's nothing in between. There's no gray area. There's no, I'll give you a break. None of this. You either get it for free or you pay full price. That's a good way to go. You give a buddy a deal and then all of a sudden. Yeah. It just doesn't I've, work. I've, I've had some friends that, yeah, okay, I'll help you out. We'll do some minimal drawings. And then the building department says, Hey, we need this detail or, you know, we, you need to change this. I change it and send them a bill for 300 bucks. And now they're up in arms. Well, what the hell? You just keep charging me. It's like building inspector wanted changes a few more hours. Right. You know, but they're going to complain about it. It's like, I already gave you a hell of a deal. How about just saying, thank you. We live and learn, man. We live and learn. Yeah. I like that. It's either full price or, or free. Yeah. It's uh, you know, the other, the other great line that I heard is a, an old builder friend. He just uh, sold his company to his employees and retired, but he has probably one of the best lines I've ever heard. Um, you know, he, he would say, you know, there's a few clients in my time that I wish I had paid $500 to go away. I would have made more money. <laughs> I love it. You know, it's just, I love it. it's, you know, so the thing that it's, it's hard because when you're younger, you kind of like take on every project because you just feel like you have to, you don't know what's around the corner. It's like, okay, I'll take this on. But 
the reality of doing that is, is sometimes you paint yourself into the corner and it's like, it's hard to get out of. It is. I always encourage younger builders that they see a red flag just to don't do it. Just wait, don't work, yeah. but like work on, work on your business. If you've got some downtime, work on yourself, work on I, marketing I, yourself, work on something else. And, and you will, more will work will come your way. The good work, it comes. Yeah. I remember the first time when I turned a client away, I remember vividly. And I told him, I said, you know what? I'm going to de decline working with you and not even send you a proposal. I don't think we're a good fit. And they're like, whoa, wait, wait a minute. What, what do you mean? I said, I don't think there's too much here that is not encouraging me to continue this conversation. And they were actually pissed that I didn't give them the chance to work with me. And I was like, well, there you go. I mean, I, it just, it didn't feel right. You know, and then after that, it becomes a little easier, but that first one, you know, it's, it's a giant hurdle. It gets easier after that, but because you realize, okay, I can turn that job down and there's still work there. You start to catalog the red flags, catalog, yeah the people, the things you've heard and that you mm -hmm. hear again, because you do hear all these things over and over again. There's stare, there's types of people out there. Oh, yeah. Gotta... yeah. And the thing is, the, the cool thing is, is when you do a project for the right person, it tends to, you know, that just spider webs out into a crazy web. Like I, mm -hmm. I did this one project for a woman and I think I did like six of her sorority sisters after that, like all of them. It's like, oh, you got to hire Steve. You got to hire Steve. And next thing you know, I'm getting a phone call from this one, from that one, from the other one. And I'm like, can I ask how you got my name? Because I don't usually work up there. It's like, oh, so-and-so's with sorority sister. And I got your name from her. And I was like, man, I had to bring the woman a bottle of wine just because I was like, she, she just wouldn't shut up about what we did. So pass it on. But once you get in those circles, that's really good, you know, and, mm -hmm. and out of that, I, I mean, even last week I was with one of the, the husband and wives again, and they're buying another house. And this is probably going to be my fourth project with them alone. You know, so you want to get into that relationship where, you know, you're, you're the family builder or the family architect, wherever they go, whatever they need, they call you. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I did some work for some pretty big players in my town. And and when people saw that, any other person, they thought, wow, if if he can have a great relationship with those people, then then yeah. he's, you know, got to be professional. Yeah. Um, so kind of back to the process with clients, you know, we're kind of talking about how your, your clients are kind of vetted already. They're pre-qualified because most of the time. Yeah. And so you have them write a narrative to, before you start drawing something for I, them. I have them write like, a narrative and it's interesting because I don't put limits on it. Um, I just say a narrative. It can be anything. And, you know, from a couple pages to multiple pages, whatever you want. Um, and I ask them to send, you know, at least five or six photos of an interior, five or six photos of an exterior that are appealing to you. They don't have to be the exact house you want, but it's a style that you like, or it's, you know, it's got a lot of glass or the roof slope, or is it modern? Because even if people say, oh, I want a real modern house. Okay. Is that like, 
Colorado mountain modern with like a low sloping shed roof with high glass on one side? Or is it like Miami modern where it's this, you know, very sterile white box with glass or whatever the case, but, but just saying modern. You seem like a big fan of Miami modern. Yeah. No, I mean, everything has its place. I like it. I'm not, I'm more of a, I, I tell people, if you come into my house and you put your feet up on the coffee table and get comfortable, then I consider that a compliment, right? I don't want you to come in and feel like you, you, you can't walk past the, the front entryway. Um, and, uh, but, 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 but I need something, some kind of, uh, you know, I, I'm trying to, I tell them, I'm trying to narrow a, a hundred mile wide goalpost to at least a mile here so we can kick off the design. And, and I have them write a list of uh, a program of, of rooms, what kind of spaces they think they need, and maybe a little blurb or two, like, you know, because even if you say, well, I want a great room, okay, or a family room. I've done family rooms with people that said, no, no TV in there. We like to read, we play board games, it's truly, we hang out there as a family. And then you have the couple that says, oh, no, we, we have like every weekend is a football party. We have a massive Super Bowl party. We have an 80-inch TV. And so those are two different rooms, right, even though they're both called family rooms, you know, mm-hmm. kitch, kitchens where people are near chef um, type people. And then kitchens where people say, hey, heating up pizza is probably about as elaborate as I get in cooking. Um, so there's, there's all kinds of different uh, levels and I'm just trying to understand where we are there and, and, and value, right? If, if you came at me and said, Hey, Steve, even if you have a reasonable budget and let's just say you want a 3000 square foot house, you got a million bucks. So you're a little over 300 bucks a foot. Even with that, there's things that you're going to value and there's things that you're not going to care about, Right. So you, you might care about the kitchen. The wife might care about the walk-in closet, but you're probably not going to care about the two kids' bedrooms, right? The husband might care about the garage, that it has a little attached workshop and stuff and space for it, or there's a workshop in the basement, or there's space in the basement for her to jump rope indoors. But there, there's values. And so I'm trying to really squeeze out what do these people value? What's the, what's the reason for building a new house? The, the beauty, and, and I actually, you know, I, I tell all my clients, I'm brutally honest. And so when they come at me with like a floor plan and say, oh, this is exactly what we want. I'm like, then why are you building a custom home? Just get that plan set out of the magazine and go give it to a builder and build it. That, that's not a custom home. A custom home is something made for you, right? That, that's tailored to you. So so doing this homework, and it's funny because um, probably in February, I got my largest homework ever. The guy did, I don't know, it was probably about 135 slide PowerPoint. Um, he had everything in there, all kinds of stuff. It took me about three and a half hours to get through just to review it, all the stuff he wrote. And then sometimes you get, you know, people send a page or two. You know, we're real easy people. We, we want open plan, blah, blah, blah. And they, that's it. Okay. But, but it all works. And the, the, the flip side is, is getting them to think about it. Most of them come back and say, you know, this was a really great exercise because I never really thought about how I live or how I want to live in a house because most people's um, 
experience has been they moved into a house and they had to conform to what the house is providing them. Absolutely. As opposed to developing a plan that now provides for them. Well, I love that narrative idea. I, I, you know, I, I prefer my clients to come from an architect. If I'm going to build them a house, I, I want, I want legal licensed, insured drawings. I don't want to be responsible for spatial issues, but I love that idea of the narrative. Um, I have a method where I deal how I get my clients kind of in a mindset with a bunch of punch lists and stuff or checklists that I send mm-hmm. them to get them thinking about it and thinking about their, you know, their final costs that are going to be at their expense that aren't, you know, the, the budgeted stuff. Yeah. But, but I really like that idea for the narrative of how you're going to live in the space because people really need to think about that. Well, they need there's to nothing think worse it. than having your house built and then wishing that a room was a little bit different. Like, cause yeah. that'll not, that'll gnaw away at your brain while you're laying in bed at night, you've got a brand new home. And it's funny because, you know, and, and you know this, when you're built, when you're designing or building a house, you're going to come to some kind of threshold where it's like, okay, this room would certainly be better two foot wider. Um, you know, but the homeowner sitting there saying, you know, is it worth 12 grand to make this room two foot wider? My answer is always yes, because you're never going to go through life when it's two foot smaller and say, I made the right decision. You're no always going to say, I, I wish I just made this room bigger. So just do it because that's, that's how you're going to inevitably think anyway. No doubt. I, I don't have an awesome example of that in a house, but I did build a garage for someone X amount of years ago and it was way too small. And I told them right when they sent me the drawing, I was like, this is not a big enough garage. These are the things you're going to want to do in your garage. And we built it and they, and they pulled their car in and the guy looked at me and I was like, don't even like, don't even say it because if we built it his size and he, then he realized that it should have been what I said. It right. should have been the bigger dimension. And, and the, it's funny because in, in 30 years, what I've come to learn is you can't describe things dimensionally to clients. I have to tell them a story, right? So in mm. your case, you know, if I was doing a garage for somebody, I would sit there and say, okay, the garage, you know, usually I make them at least 24 feet wide, maybe 26, upwards of 28 is really nice. And they're like, well, okay, I, what does that mean? And I said, okay, here's the story. Do you want to pull in, in your pickup truck, open up the door halfway, kind of squeeze out and walk sideways between the garbage cans in the truck? Or do you want to pull in the garage, open the door, get out of the truck comfortably, close it and walk between the truck and the garbage cans. Cause that's the difference between 24 feet and 28 feet. Yeah. Right. Or, ba- or banging doors. If both cars are in the garage at the same time, you don't want, and, you want to get doors that. open. Yeah. When you tell them a story, they understand that because they can relate that to an experience, you know, and that's the, tr- that's true of everything. Right you know, kitchen design, family room, gym, bedrooms, like everybody wants a big bedroom. And it's, it's always interesting to me. It's like, you know, king bed, six and a half feet, seven feet off the wall, the dresser opposing is a couple feet. So that's nine feet. You probably want at least three or four feet in between. So you're at, you know, what 14 feet ish in, in width of the room. And they say, Oh, can we make the room bigger? Okay. If we make the room 18 feet, 
then all that means is the space between the bed and the dresser went from four feet to eight feet or nine feet. How much room do you need between there? Like it's not doing anything for you. You can't put more furniture in the room. You can't do any of that. Yeah. You know, so when, when you explain things to people like that, then they, they get it. They don't, you know, dimensions and stuff. And it's funny because people always say, you know, I'll probably go through the first three meetings of design and I reluctantly don't put dimensions on the plans because immediately people want to think they want to, they want to see it and say, Oh, 16 foot for a master bedroom. I need it at least 18 feet. It's like, okay, where the hell is that number coming from? Well, my sister's got 16 feet and I think her room should be a little bit bigger. Right. And it's like, well, maybe it's a badly designed room. I don't know, but 16 feet can be an appropriate number. So I, I, I don't put dimensions on there because I want them to understand the relationships and the, the core issues. The dimension is, it's, it's a, it's a dumb number at best. So you're, so after you do the narrative, you get the narrative and then you, you start to draw something. Well, I review the narrative and we have a meeting to, because when I read the narrative, say you give me that narrative, it's 10 pages or whatever. I'll go through and take a bunch of notes on it and have a zoom call and have some clarifiers. So think of it as we have a hundred mile wide goalpost. They do the narrative that takes it to 50 miles. I review it and have more questions. And then that gets us down to 10 miles wide. Right. So we, we're, we're constantly refining our thought process to to understand what it is that they, they need or want, you know, and it, it's simple things, too, that a lot of people put in the narrative their laundry list from, you know, Sunday's real estate litany. Oh, I want a master bedroom with a, a toilet in its own closet with a soaking tub and an oversized shower, double vanities. And it's like, you know, every, everybody in America, USA is writing that real estate litany or hoping to write that. But to understand that, you know, the difference between putting a tub in the master bath or not means I can get you one and a half times the shower for less money that we can put the tub in. And the tub probably makes the bathroom at least one and a half times to two times larger than not having the tub because you need all that access space to get in the tub. You need the space around the tub. And so just adding the tub is a pretty large venture to that bathroom. It's not just, Oh, we'll put it over in that corner. It it doesn't work that way. So again, having, having that understanding and that talk with them, you know, when, because they write the narrative and some of them again are writing the narrative because that's all they know. So we'll have the discussion like, do you really want a tub? Is this something you're going to use? And, and I tell them, I, I say, listen, I use the 90% rule. If it's something I'm going to do 90% of the time, then it's worth buying. If I'm not mm. going to, then it's probably not worth buying, right? I'm not going to, don't put a tub in because you think the realtor thinks you should have one in 10 years. And, and you've only used it twice in those 10 years. Put it in because you're going to use it three or four times a week. Or don't put it in because that money can be valued somewhere else. I really like that 90% rule. That's a, that's a great way to phrase it, to frame it for a client. Yeah. Because they They, can get, they need help. They need coaching is what they need. They need a guide. They don't need to be told. They need to understand what they don't know. 
is I, I guess is my point. Yeah, it's it's kind of a leadership role, really. Yeah, exactly. And it's sad because there's a lot of architects that just go away, come back, and they draw up a plan and say, here, this is what you should build. It's like, how do you know that's the right room for them or the right kitchen? I mean, you haven't had any conversations. Are they good cooks? Do they like to cook? Do they both cook together? Right? I just did a project where they, they like to cook together. So we have his and her sinks and his and her dishwashers in the kitchen just because. That's awesome. Um, I, I can tell you from a builder's perspective, if if the client comes with a drawing that is like you just said, where they have a trusted architect to just do something for them, but then as it's going up, they start asking me, hey, what do you think about this? I, I'm like, I'm not getting between you and the guy you just gave 30 grand to for this drawing. You know, I'm not. Planned. It's back to the, the whole point of, you know, when you asked earlier of why, why should people hire you? Well, someone's got to figure it out. Who do you want to figure that out? And it's not that you're not qualified, but I tell people, let everybody do what they're good at. Don't make a plumber be a designer. Let the plumber do plumbing. Don't make the plumber be the mechanical guy or the electrician. They're a plumber. Let them be a plumber. You know? Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, absolutely. And as a, as a contractor now, I mean, when I was younger and arrogant and dumb and I, you know, I try to do everything and, and be in full control. And now no full orchestration, you do it. Yeah. I'll, I'll call you when it's your turn and, yes. you know, make the agreements and, and, and I, I enjoy it so much more because I'm not it's, bogged down. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun when you just get to focus on what you're good at, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and rewarding. And it's a collaborative effort. Yeah. You know, cause even if you are like when I worked as a carpenter, the, the carpenter that I worked for, like he would do his own foundation work. He'd do his framing, his, all of his siding roofing. He would trim it all out inside, do all the cabinet setting, all the cabinetry. And it's like, he was good at that stuff, but he was probably best at framing and good at everything else. Yep. Right. There, there's, there's no replacement for like a really good trim carpenter or a really good cabinet maker. Right. They, their stuff is just gorgeous because that's all they concentrate on. Right. Or sidings, sidings, or, sidings or shinglers. Like I can't, I'm not going to try and put down shingles like my shingler does. Yeah. I'm happy to pay him to do it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. He's got the right tools. He's got the right processes, yeah. right people. And, and he, he's good. Exactly. Once you get into the, the construction process and you've, I mean, you've got your trusted, you've got your trusted contractors yep. for the most part, you've got a small, but sometimes I have to work with new ones. Cause if we're breaking ground in a new place, then, mm-hmm. you know, but even then it's like, I, I can make a few phone calls. I'll call the building inspector. I'll, I'll call, you know, some of the, the material suppliers that I know very well, I'll call their local reps and just say, Hey, I'm going to be working down in this area of Louisiana, you know, who's some good builders down there, Mm -hmm. you know, and what you might find very interesting is probably like maybe 15, 20% of my work are for builders themselves. Like I'm building my own house. I want to make sure this is right. Can I work with you? Right. You know, so I have a, I have a couple of them right now. 
where I'm doing their own personal houses. Oh, and, awesome. and they're good. They're actually really good clients because they understand, hey, that's going to cost money to do it that way, but that's the right way to do it. You know, and we can walk through and talk through that stuff. That's, so. that's fun. That sounds fun. Yeah, I, I, uh, I do some spec houses. So in, in terms of that, it's my design and me and my subs just build it together. There's no one else looking. There's no one else to say anything. I was listening to kind of change in the subject here. I was listening to an episode of the Unbuild It podcast and, and I don't remember which one it was. It was, but one, someone said custom design is perceived, but not actual. Hmm. And, and I, it's been kind of bouncing around in my head. And, uh, and I think it was in regard to, you know, factory built houses versus custom built houses um because not everybody wants like with a with a car you know people are happy to drive the same car everybody will drive a subaru forester yep. no problem or a, or a toyota tacoma but but their house can't be the same as can't anyone else but you know what's and funny then, though they can't be the same but they like i've i've Ben and I, I was working with one client and they were moving into like a development and we were doing a, we, they bought a lot in there. So we were doing a house that was different. And one of the wives pet peeves was I want my house to be different because she has a bunch of friends that live in the development. And she's like, my friends think different is if they get to pick out the color of countertop and the, the type, the species of hardwood floor. Like it's different because, oh, this isn't like Julie's house. I have hickory floors, not oak floors. And my granite is, you know, I got soapstone instead of granite. It's like, if you think that makes a custom house, then you're missing the whole perception on what a custom house is. Right. It's like, those are some, some alternative choices at best. Those aren't custom decisions. But right. a lot of They're, people see it that way. Like that's my opportunity to build a custom house. And that's why I was getting back at that one comment I made where, you know, this is an opportunity to get whatever you want, right? We can build it tall and lean. We can build it long and skinny. We can build a big box. We can paint it purple. We can do whatever you want. Paint it your favorite color, paint it your favorite two colors. But it's the opportunity to get whatever you want. Instead of just or something different, instead of just options, because that's instead of yeah, basically what you're talking with, yeah, exactly, exactly. But it still looks like everybody else's house down the street from the outside. Yours is just a darker brown paint job. I think that's what we were talking about when we were talking about that. And and also on the I I believe on the unbuild it podcast. Oh. Yeah, it sounds like you guys need to talk more about ICFs. Yeah. We get we we get two or three questions a day. And what's this conversation with Steve continues immediately in the following episode. We actually will talk about ICFs and that failure is not linear. Getting your clients and contractors on board with building science and then having the dumb conversations that are necessary. Not letting your subs run willy-nilly with locations. On and on and on to the speed round, tiny houses, offsite building, and much more. 
Hey, if you found value in the content of the show or some sense of affirmation for what you're doing, please consider writing review on iTunes, rating me on Spotify, or sharing the pod directly to social media from your phone. And remember, the work we do each day, the stuff we make and leave behind, it's our legacy. So create a legacy that matters. All right, that's all I got. Later.